0: We're going to start off our evening on Menti because I need to get you warmed up on something um, if you've got a smartphone. Don't worry if you don't have one. You can be doing it um, in your mind uh, regardless. Um, but I need to get you warmed up. So if we go over onto Menti, um, what I need you to do is to get on the emojis, so the little faces. <laughs> and put the emoji that most closely represents the emotion that you are feeling as you come here this evening. And the, <laughs> these are a lot of happy people. Oh, there we go. The bigger it is, the more people have put that emoji. We have got all sorts. I don't know what that tongue one means. Tired, yeah. On fire, someone. Lemon. What does that one mean? (laughs) Feeling sour? So, that's just to get you warmed up on the emotions. But we are all coming here feeling different things. We're all in different places. And you're all very welcome wherever you are at. And each week, there'll be a whole host of different emotions going on amongst us. And uh, I just want to pray for us now. Because wherever we're at, God can speak to us. He can move in our hearts, whatever we are feeling. Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us through your word pray that you would uh, move in our hearts that you would draw us close to you that we would know more of your love for us and so if we go back over onto the uh, other computer um, i've been preaching through a book in the bible called esther for what seems like my whole lifetime Um, and i got to a passage today which seemed quite odd, but what really stood out to me was the emotions in it, hence the emojis. But just to make sense of the story today, I've done a little recap of the story so far. And because I do this every time, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it a bit differently this time. And so I'm not the greatest artist in the world, but I've done you a little video to catch you up on the story of Esther so far if you missed the first parts of it or have never read it. Um, This is the story of Esther. The Book of Esther is about a young girl who was made queen of the Persian Empire when the king chose her to become the queen from a whole load of other girls from throughout the empire. She is a young Jewess but she has kept the fact that she is a Jew secret at her uncle Mordecai's instructions for her own safety. Her uncle Mordecai is a good man who seems to have brought up his niece well since her parents died. But he has angered Haman, the king's right-hand man, because he refuses to bow down to him. Haman, in fact, is so infuriated by Mordecai that he's convinced the king to agree to a decree that allows for the annihilation of all the Jews in the whole Persian Empire. Mordecai has convinced his niece to risk her life and go to the king and plea for her people. And she has managed to get the king's attention and his favor. But so far she hasn't admitted that she is a Jew and she hasn't yet asked for the deliverance of her people. What she's done so far is she has hosted a dinner party for the king and for their arch enemy Haman and now she has asked them to come for another dinner party the next day. So that is the story of Esther so far, so far that we've got. And tonight, we're going to look at, so, Esther's people are in danger. They are due to be basically annihilated because of Haman, their archenemy. And tonight we're focusing completely on Haman, this guy who is the baddie in the story. There's no other way to put it. He is the bad guy. And he gets uh, increasingly bad as the story goes on. And we're going to look at just a tiny little bit. So he's been to a banquet with Esther and the king. Uh, and he's the king's right-hand man, he's, he's very important, he's got a lot that is going well for him, and he doesn't realise yet that Esther is trying to foil his plan. He just thinks, I'm being invited by the queen, and the only other person being invited is the king. How cool am I? And uh, so he, the story tonight is just his walk home from that first banquet and then the conversation he has with his wife and his friends at home. That is literally what we're looking at, but we're going to do it over on Menti. So if we move over on to Menti again, um, I am going to read you the story. And what I need you to do is to be quick on your fingers and to put an emoji for each of the emotions that come up in this story. I've put them in capitals to help you out, <laughs> um, but I'm going to read your story. If the writing's in the middle of the page, you don't need to put an emoji for that little bit. So, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. So he's uh, been to the feast with the uh, queen and understandably he's happy and in high spirits. Perhaps had quite a bit of wine as well. Um, And he is feeling good about things. right, you're quick on that one. I think that's quite an easy one because we put happy emojis all the time. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, so this is Esther's uncle, who's at the king's gate, and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against him. (laughs) Very good first one. So he is infuriated. This guy has gone out, and what he had done previously in stories, he told everyone that they all had to bow down to him. Wherever he went, people had to bow down to him. And everyone else did. But Mordecai said, no, I'm not bowing down to this guy. He's not my God. I'm not bowing down to Haman. And this is infuriating Haman, that he won't do what he says. He's filled with rage. Very good emojis. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. I think this is quite a hard one. How often do you put an emoji for being restrained? (laughs) 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 calling together his friends and Zeresh when he gets home Zeresh is his wife Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth his many sons and all of the ways that the king had honored him so this guy is on a high he is full of himself I am amazing. I am the king's right-hand man. I'm the second most important person in this empire. It was the biggest empire to date at that time. Um, He has got a lot of wealth. He's got all kinds of things. And he says, I am great. And he is boasting to his wife and to his friends. And... She, so Esther, has invited me along with the king tomorrow again. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. So he has all this going on, and he boasts, and yet he has no satisfaction because Mordecai isn't bowing down to him, isn't doing what he wanted. That uh, blowing stuff out of the nostrils has come up a few times. Someone likes that one. (laughs) So that is the story tonight, and uh, it might seem like a weird thing. If we go back over onto my computer, um, you can see in larger, it doesn't really matter the other text, but that is the story tonight. A whole host of emotions. This is just his walk home from the palace, and he goes through all of this. Starts off happy, gets filled with rage immediately, both no satisfaction whatsoever, and then he is Oh, hang on, we've missed a couple. Let's go back over to the computer, sorry. We have missed the key point. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, because he has no satisfaction, have a pole set up reaching to the height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. So this is a nasty bunch of people. So how does he feel about this? This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. So this is a nasty piece of work. He is delighted by this idea to have a huge pole set up to impale his enemy on. It's not a nice story. There's a lot of stories like that in the Bible if you read it. And uh, this guy is a horrible guy. And if we go back again over to the other computer. So yeah reminded me. At the end, he finishes off delighted in this plan. And what I want to do tonight is I just want to go through those emotions very simply, very quickly, hopefully. Um, And then I want us to reflect a little bit on each one. So he begins the story happy and in high spirits. And why? Because he felt important. He felt above others might have been full of wine he might have been full of food that must might have helped as well but basically he felt self-important he thought I'm better than everyone else and so he was happy he was in high spirits and often it's not really the emotions that makes the difference it's not like a bad and a good emotion as such it's the motivation behind them you can be happy and that be a great thing but was it good that Haman was happy why was he happy And then very quickly afterwards, he is filled with rage. He's a volatile guy. Now, is it bad that he got angry? Is it always bad if we get angry? Jesus got angry. But why? What was the motivation? When Jesus got angry, the motivation was there were people being exploited. There were people who were vulnerable and other people who should have known better getting money off them, exploiting them, um, and doing all this as a farce, saying that it was for God. And Jesus got angry. But what was Haman's motivation? His motivation was, I'm angry because someone isn't doing what I want. Someone is making me look silly. Someone isn't feeding into my power hungriness. And actually, I am furious. And the motivation of what we feel is so important. But then he restrains himself. And was this because he was protecting Mordecai? Did he think, oh, actually, he's a nice guy, really. I'll, I'll leave him alone. Now, if you've read the story, Heyman, that wasn't in Haman's agenda at all. And I think it was probably because he wanted a better and a more vindictive plan. He wanted time to think about this and think, how can I really get at this guy? He's really doing my nutting. And I want to get at him. And so he goes home, leaves that for a moment, restrains himself, goes home, and starts boasting. And in the Bible, it's interesting, because often we see pride as quite a good thing nowadays in society. I'm proud of myself. But actually in the Bible often, it's in it, we were talking about this. I um, can't remember with who. We were talking about it over a meal the other day. And actually in the Bible, there's not very many good instances of pride This is often the kind of thing it says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, if we're full of ourselves, it doesn't often end well, and it doesn't end well for Haman, not to spoil the story or anything, but it doesn't end well for him, but we'll come on to that another time. And I've shared this with you before, but the way I see it is when I am at the centre. I'm not living in the right way. I'm not living in the right way for me or for anyone else. And at the center of sin is I. I am at the center of sin. When I am the purpose of everything I do, when I'm doing everything for my own fulfillment, for myself, because I want more, because I deserve more, things don't go well. It's not a good thing. That wasn't what I was made to live for. And quite predictably, Haman experiences no satisfaction. We see that all around us in our world. A lack of satisfaction with people, and we feel unsettled. We feel dissatisfied with what we have, with what we experience, with what we are doing. There's a sense of dissatisfaction all around. And I think the key is, what did Haman delight in? Just a reminder of the story. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. He was delighted by someone else being put down, by someone else's destruction, by himself being lifted up, by someone else being the victim of injustice. That was what delighted him. And actually, if we want to be satisfied, we need to look at what delights us. What is it that our hearts are yearning after? Because that is a key to whether our hearts are in the right place. What is our God? What is the thing that really makes us happy? What are we seeking after? Because that's a good way to check in with our heart. What could Haman have delighted in instead? And uh, I know this is a little bit tenuous, but the way I like to think of it is I am at the center of sin. But if God is at the center of my life, then others. I am looking to serve God and to serve others. Because I love God, others become the center of it. I get moved out of the center, and God and others take that place. Or if you want to look at it a different way, when we follow Jesus, when we love Jesus, it stops becoming about me, and it becomes about us. We do this together. We are a family. we It's about us. It's about the common good. It's not about me and what I want and my rights and my, what I need and the relationship I want and the stuff I want. It's about us. What's good for the common good? What's good for our community? And that is how God designed us to be. Even Jesus came to earth to serve and not be served. That's the example that we follow. And that is what we were made to do. And if you think of something that was made to do something, this jug was made to hold water. There's no point this jug trying to do something else. There's no point this jug being the light that's shining down on me. It's just not going to work. It's not going to be fulfilled in what it's doing because it's not going to manage it. It will be fulfilled if it holds water and pours it for me. We're all made for a purpose, and the thing that we were created for, we all have different gifts and different small things, but overall, what we were created for was to love God and to love others. We were created to serve other people, and it's when we do that, that we really feel fulfilled. That is when we feel satisfied, and the world all around us tells us, no, it's about, you will feel satisfied when you think about yourself, when you look out for yourself, when you get the things that you want, just scrolling through social media or or whatever internet, the adverts, the algorithm of the adverts that it throws at you. That is what the world's saying you need to be satisfied. You need more of this. You need this in your life, and then you will feel satisfied. But it's all false. It's all false gods. None of that brings satisfaction. And Haman had bought into that in a big way. He was out for himself. And what we want to do tonight is we want to try, because all our hearts tend to wander. That's just what they do. It's not that you um, somehow, an all of our hearts wander. And what we have to do is try and reorient them towards God. We want to move from it being about me back to about loving God and serving other people. And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to do a self-audit of our emotions. Um, And you might um, think, oh... But you know, I don't know, I said this morning and people laughed, but I often, I don't know if it's just me, what I really don't want tonight to be about is you're sitting there and you're thinking the person next to you or you know someone's here somewhere over there and you're thinking, I know that they felt this this week, I really hope they're listening at this point. It's a self-audit. It's not another person audit. What I really want, we all have emotions. And if you feel like you don't have emotions, there's a whole other thing we need to deal with. But we all have emotions. We all have a heart. And I want us to do a self-audit. Each person to audit our own hearts. to bring Because how wonderful if we all started coming closer to God. What a community we would be. How God could use us. Um, and he does already use us. But how much more if we're repeatedly coming back to him? And there's a quote by John Maxwell. Most people want to change the world to improve their lives, but the world they need to change first is the one inside themselves. And so I want to do this self-audit of our emotions. And you might want to, I'm going to go through all those emotions again that Heyman went through, and you might want to take a note on your phone If something particularly stands out to you, or even better, if you've got a paper and pen, it's a bit less distracting, um, you might want to note down something to come back to later, to maybe pray into, maybe remind yourself of a commitment you've made. And it might be something I say, it might be something else. Often in church, something else pops into your mind, but actually that could be God speaking to you and saying, you know when this happened? Actually, I wanna speak into that. I wanna help you with this. I want to grow this in you. Um, And so we're just going to quickly go through those emotions. Firstly, he was happy and in high spirits. Have we been happy uh, recently? Can we think of a time? Was it for a selfish reason? Was it something about ourselves? Or were we celebrating with and for other people? What is it that makes us happy? What kind of things? And then he was filled with rage. We might be someone who gets angry. Are we, are we, for the people around us, do we seem volatile? Are we quite destructive when we feel angry? Do we maybe have a bit of a victim complex and think all the time someone else is getting at us and I've got to lash out, otherwise I need to protect myself. I need to do this. Or... Do we get angry because we feel protective for someone that is vulnerable and we're seeking justice for them? What is the cause of our anger? And then he restrained himself, and I think this goes nicely after the anger. Can we, can we do this? I'm not saying Haman had good intentions, but can we do this? Do we take a step back rather than impulsively replying in anger? Do we give time for God to intervene? Because we might restrain ourselves like Haman and give ourselves more time to talk badly about someone, say, oh, they did this, I'm really angry, da 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 da, da and spread that around. We might do it to get another plan like Haman, how can I get back at them? Can we stop ourselves and give a bit of time and say to God, show me what I haven't seen. Are there things I haven't understood? Could you lessen my anger and my hurt so that I can see how I can love them better in this situation? Can we be a people that can step back? And it might be that we have a good cause for our anger. You know, children going hungry in the world. I don't think that's a bad thing to be angry about. But maybe we can restrain ourselves from what we impulsively think in the moment I'm going to do and actually say to God, how can you use me in this? What can I do? What's your way for me to tackle this? It's not that anger is always bad. It's that there is God's way to address that and how we react in that moment. Um, Do we give God the time to use us and to show us and to guide us? And then he started boasting. And uh, this passage in Jeremiah struck me. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. In other words, you might have all kinds of stuff that you can boast about. You might be great at certain things. You might be really clever. You might have incredible relationships. You might have amazing stuff. Who knows what it is? You might be really wise, really strong, whatever it is. But let's not boast about that, Jeremiah says. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. This is what we want to boast about. We want to boast about what God can do. Not about ourselves, yes. He's given us all kinds of gifts. He's given us all kinds of blessings, and that is great. Let's boast about him. Let's boast about the one who gave us those things, not about ourselves, because it wasn't really us, anyhow. He created us and he has made us to have those things. What do you feel proud about? When we talk to other people, what do we boast about? Are we trying to make ourselves look good when we're talking? Or are we trying to make God look good, and other people look good? Is it about ourselves? And sometimes we do it a little bit subtly, but actually we're out to make ourselves look good. We wanna feel that little sense of pride in the moment. But ultimately, it leads to no satisfaction. And I wonder whether we feel satisfied. Do we feel satisfied when we go to bed at night? Do we feel satisfied? in our lives. And what do we think will bring us satisfaction? Do we think if we had a better relationship, if we had more relationships, if we had a better job, if we had a better school, if we had better grades, if we had more followers, if we had more stuff, if we had a better car or better clothes or train, what is it? that we spend hours looking at and thinking about. What is it that we think that our heart is yearning after that we think, oh, this will bring me satisfaction? Paul says this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this, through him who gives me strength. In other words, Paul has tapped this thing. It's not about whether he's well-fed or hungry. It's not about whether he has loads of stuff or not very much stuff at all. That's almost irrelevant. What's relevant is that he gets the strength from God. That's where he gets his strength. That's where he gets his satisfaction. That's why he can be content in any and every situation. We live in a dissatisfied world. Can we show a different way? Can we show them where they can find true satisfaction? Augustine said, you have made us for yourself. So God has made us for himself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. So again, that thing of what we were made for. Our hearts were made to love God. And until that is our ultimate love, we're going to feel restless. So what is it that we delight in? Is it self-interest? Is it things that we want? We might not be as bad as Haman. But what is it that we delight in? Or is it things of God's kingdom? Looking out for others, for justice, for goodness, for mercy, for peace. What is it that really delights us? And thinking about that quote from Augustine, that our hearts are restless until they rest in Him. James Smith says this, since our hearts are made to find their end in God, we will experience a besetting anxiety and restlessness when we try to love substitutes. To be human is to have a heart. You can't not love. So the question isn't whether you will love something as ultimate. The question is what you will love as ultimate. And you are what you love. What we love says a lot about us. The emotions that come out of our hearts say a lot about us. What we delight in show what it is that we truly love and who we really are. And I read a story recently um, about two captains, uh, Captains Johnson and Berry, and they were the captains of two steamships around the same time as the Titanic. And the two ships, the Nantucket, which was um, a, a cargo type steamship, rammed the Monroe, which was a passenger ship, in the fog off Virginia, and 41 people lost their lives. And afterwards, it came to trial, and ultimately, uh, Berry, the captain of the Nantucket, um, was guilty on all charges. He lost his license. Um, but during the trial, the Captain Johnson was put on the stand for over five hours, and during cross-examination, it became apparent that he navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. His steering compass had never been adjusted in the one year he was master of the Monroe. And they think this explains a scene that was later um, told about in the Times newspaper, which said of these two um, burly seamen that they met each other and they clasped hands and they sobbed because ultimately they were both guilty in some ways. And James Smith says, this is a reminder for us. And this is a reminder. If the heart is like a compass, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts, turning them to be directed to the Creator, our magnetic north. There are disastrous consequences if we let our compasses go off track. Even by two degrees, we start going off track just a little bit and we end up in a very different place. We need to constantly be recalibrating our hearts, which is why tonight, I wanted us to spend a bit of time just doing a self-audit of our hearts, of our emotions, which are telling of where our heart is and the condition of our heart. Where do we feel that we may have loved the wrong things? And our emotions might be telling of that. We might think about what it might be. It might be something else. Have some of our emotions come from a place of self-interest? If I can't learn, then I can't change. And we want to be able to change. So how can we recalibrate our hearts? How can we learn from where we've gone wrong? And the first thing um, I want to suggest is that we be formed by wisdom from the Bible. We've got all this stuff around us being thrown at us. The algorithm throws at us. um, And all around us, stuff that gets thrown at us. And Haman gave into that. He went with what the world wants, the power, the wealth, all of those things. But we want to be formed by something different because we see that that does not satisfy. And if you're someone that struggles to read the Bible and you don't know where to start, um, I invite you to join me. If you scan the QR code and you have the Bible app, it will take you straight to a plan that I'm starting tomorrow, Luke and Act, two books in the New Testament uh, that I'll be reading. It has a little bit each day. Um, and we can each read it. You can type in some questions in the comments bit and we can chat on there. There'll be a group of us doing it. Um, Or you can email me at deb at scbc.org.uk and ask how you get hold of this if you don't understand the Bible app and all those things and I can explain that. But it's just something we wanna do. We wanna recalibrate our hearts regularly, not once a year or even once a week, actually daily. If you think of all the other things that are coming into our minds, all the other things that we're looking at, they come every few minutes. If we only think about God once every now and then, our hearts are going to go way off track. Secondly, that we seek to serve others wherever we are this week. Not ourselves, not like Haman did, not self-seeking but seek to serve other people, whether that be at work, at home, with our friends, out and about, whatever it might be, that we seek to serve other people. And thirdly, that we seek wise counsel from the Holy Spirit, because God wants to guide us, and from carefully chosen relationships, not people like Zeresh, Haman's wife. We we don't want people that are going to say, yeah, go on, fight for yourself yeah, you, you deserve that, you go get more. We want people that say, is that the best thing really for you? Does that really show your love for God, your love for other people? Is that really going to bring you happiness? Is there a better way? We want people who are really wise to speak into our lives.